a long time as with Christmas and a, a couple introductory sermons at the beginning of the year. And we have been walking through John, if you weren't with us before, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. And um, I thought it would be kind of this quick-paced thing, but I realized that, that you just, for, with the Gospel of John, you just can't do it. <laughs> um, John has packed so much in, in every single verse as he wrote, even in his narrative, he packs so much in as he was uh, led along by the Holy Spirit to write this gospel. And so thankful to, to be able to walk through this. And we are in chapter 3, and we won't go do a, like a full, complete review of everything we've done, because that, that would just take too long. But we'll have bits and pieces as we go along today, and, and we'll also um, be able to review this section that we're in, which is a larger section that we're going to look at. Um, really, this section begins in, in verse 22 of this chapter and goes through our passage today. And in this passage, in this section, it's a passage where we see an emphasis on the supremacy of Christ. We see an emphasis that, that Jesus is above all. Like there is no one like Jesus. And this passage really emphasizes that reality of who Christ is. And as a church, um, our, our mission, our, our vision is that we want to make Jesus non-ignorable from um, our doorsteps to the end of the, the earth. So wherever God has planted us, uh, we want to be a people that just make Jesus non-ignorable in that place. And in this passage, you can even ask, well, why? And we see through these, through these few verses, again, that there's, there's no one like Jesus. He's above all. He's full of joy and life. And in him, we find fulfillment of joy and life in him, as he is the one who brings true eternal life. And we realize that, that life and hope and love that we seek is found only in Christ. It's not found in ourselves. We can't ultimately fulfill our greatest joys and desires. Sometimes we think we can, uh, but we can't. Life doesn't come from within. Um, we see here, but life comes from Jesus. And I know we, we live in a culture that says, um, look in to find hope and find direction and and then kind of figure things out. There's a, uh, an author, Trevin Wax, and he talks about this and talks about how, um, and I've, I've mentioned it before, like as a culture, we, we, we look in first a lot to find hope and meaning and, and direction. And then we kind of look around and find a, a, a group of friends that can, can kind of help prop up whatever we're seeing inside. And then finally, we look up and find a God that fits um, our, our understanding of all of these things. And he says, no, that, that's kind of flipped upside down. First, we need to look up. We need to look to our God, and he instructs. And life's not called, meaning's not to be found within. And yet, we do live in a time that exalts self above everything, that exalts self-rule guided by mostly by feelings, um, and seeking a freedom apart from any kind of outward standard. But here, we see that we're called to look to the one who is from above, because above all, we're called to look to Jesus. Because all the, that other effort to try to find hope and meaning in life by just looking within and, and finding meaning within and allowing our feelings just to be our greatest guide and rule, they do not, uh, you know, I look at our culture, how is that, how's that going for us? Are we a happier, um, less stressed people? No. Um, we need to look to Jesus. 
So we see this passage about the supremacy of Jesus as John the Apostle writes and gives us this account, and we see that we're called to look to Jesus. So in this section, it's kind of a little bit of review from verse 22. We have the setting. Now, as Apostle John, so the author of the gospel, he's writing about the beginning kind of ministry of John, I mean of Jesus, and he takes a portion of the ministry of Jesus that the, a lot of or the other gospels don't talk about. So this is this early ministry where he's in Jerusalem and in Judea, and we have this account here. And some of the things that we've walked to, through is that Jesus, he, he's cleared the temple. He's come in and cleared out the temple because of the, he's seen the way that it has been defiled and turned into a den of robbers. And he comes and clears that out. And he shows his authority in that and what right worship is. And we've also seen where in Jerusalem he has a one-on-one conversation with Nicodemus. And that's that passage where Jesus talks about our need to be born again, that we need new spiritual life to be born again. And so we have that conversation. And now Jesus, he's, he leaves Jerusalem, but he doesn't go too far. He just goes to the Judean countryside. He doesn't go yet up to it's up to Galilee. So he's in the rural area there. And if you remember in that verse, it says that he remained there with the disciples baptizing. Maybe your, your passage, your Bible, your translation says he tarried there or he lingered there. And I mentioned a few weeks back when we were in this passage how, man, we're not a very good lingering people. But he wasn't hurried and he lingers and tarries with the disciples in that place and ministers there. And that's a scene where where John the Baptist, he's been baptizing, he's been preparing people to turn back to God and be prepared for Jesus to come, and he's been baptizing there, and we have this situation where John's disciples and a Jew, they're having a conversation about purification. We don't know what the conversation is, but we know it leads to the conversation about how Jesus is on the other side of the Jordan, and he is baptizing, and we find out later the disciples on his behalf are baptizing and the crowds are all going to him. So maybe the disciples of John, that John the Baptist, have been wondering, and the crowds are getting a little thinner, and they're like, what's going on? And they, didn't, weren't, they weren't able to check their Twitter feed to find out that they were all, everyone was saying, go to Jesus. Um, he's a, the Lamb of God that John the Baptist pointed to. We need to go and see what he's about. So it, this conversation comes, and the, the disciples of John, are, they're a little bit bothered by that. They're a little bit worried that a little bit of the... The crowds are, are leaving John. And we talked about identity when we walk through that. And we see that John the Baptist, he sees his identity fully rooted in Jesus. Just a few of those verses. Verse 27, John says to his disciples who are worried about people leaving and going to Jesus, he says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. So he just reminds him that all we have is by the hand of God. He said, all, all this is by the hand of God. Um, don't be worried about this. We're just thankful for the time we had, and now we're pointing to Jesus. We've been doing our job. And then he says in verse 28, he's reminded who he isn't and who Jesus is. He says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. So we have this clear statement that he's like, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. I am not the Savior. And I think we all need to have shirts and hats that say, I am not the Christ. Um, 
Because there's great rest in that. Because sometimes we think, oh, for my family and my kids, I have to be the Messiah. Or as a pastor, I have to be the Christ, the Messiah. No, I'm not. I'm not at all. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And we can rest in him and understand that he is the Savior of the world and in ourselves as well. Again, it's not about us looking in. We look to Christ who is our Savior. He is the Messiah who came to redeem. And then, and then we see that also that John's joy is in Christ. And he gives this parable, this illustration of a bridegroom and a bride and um, having, finding joy in the bridegroom being with the bride. A bit like, again, that, that picture of even at a wedding of being uh, with the bridegroom and the bride coming down the aisle and the joy that the groomsmen has, have with their friend who has seen this joy and his joy is found in Christ. So he points to Jesus. He's happy that people are going to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. He's the one I've been pointing to. And then he says in verse 30 that I love, he must increase, but I must decrease. Again, another great shirt and a hat we could all wear. <laughs> he must increase um, and I must decrease. And he's just pointing to Jesus. And there's hope and rest in there. The pressure's off. He is our Savior. He is the one that's above. We want to make much of him. And we can, uh, it's okay. Uh, people aren't looking to us. And then um, this gets us to our, our passage today. I know a long intro, but a shorter sermon, longer intro, shorter sermon. I mostly promise um, that. So, but then as we get to verse 31 through 36, there's a little bit of debate. Um, is it John the Baptist who's still speaking here, or is John the Apostle? Um, is he writing some of his thoughts about Jesus? And you see, if you're using the ESV, that the quotations of John end at verse 30, that he must increase. Uh, but I must decrease, and, and the translators understand this next section to be the words of, of John, the apostle, commenting on who Jesus is. But either way, it uh, doesn't change the, the emphasis or the truth or any of the application in this. Uh, but since the, the ESV translators thought it was most likely John, um, the apostle, we'll, we'll go with that. So uh, as we go, as we see this commentary speaking and showing how Jesus is indeed above all. He's so much greater than John the Baptist or any man. We have Jesus. So that's the first point we have here is that Jesus is from above. He is above all. Let me read that verse again. John chapter 3, verse 31. It says, He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He comes from heaven. He who comes from heaven is above all. So it's just this clear statement that Jesus, he is from heaven. He is, we're going to see the Son of God, and he is above all things. And this isn't new in the Gospel of John. This is where a little bit of our review comes in. The first few verses of John in chapter 1, really fairly well-known um, words from this Gospel, and it begins with this, in the beginning was the Word, and again, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's saying from the very beginning, Jesus was. He's with God the Father, and he, he is God himself. He was in the beginning, and then verse 3, and again, chapter 1, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without, without him was not anything made 
that was made. So saying that he's creator of all things. Another statement that Jesus is above all. He's from heaven, above all God. There's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. He's the creator. He's king. He's eternal. And then the verse I read um, before we prayed this morning, John 1, 14, says the same or similar things. It says, and the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. He, he became man. And that word, he became flesh and dwelt among us. There's that idea of he tabernacled among us, that he was with us, that he is God with us, Emmanuel. And then John says, from firsthand experience, he said, and we've seen the glory, glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's just clearly speaking of who Jesus is. He is God. He is creator. Uh, there's no question that he is greater than John. His John's statement that he must increase, Jesus must increase, and I must decrease was totally correct and right on because Jesus is from above all and is above all things. No one's like him. No one spoke like him. There's no one like Jesus, fully God and fully man. One commentator put it this way. He said, if we want information, speaking of Jesus being from above, from heaven, this is, if we want information about a family, we get it firsthand only from a member of the family. If we want information about a town, we'll get it firsthand only from someone who comes from that town. So then if we want information about God, we will get it only from the Son of God. And if we want information about heaven and heaven's life, we'll get it only from him who comes from heaven. So there's emphasis on Jesus being from above. So if you want to know what I was like as a kid, you want, you want to go ask my parents. Or maybe, maybe not. <laughs> maybe don't do that, actually. Um, Jesus um, is one of unlimited authority as one who's from above. But we struggle with that um, from day to day. We often think of ourselves, and I do say ourselves because I'm part of this. I think we're all part of this. We think of ourselves often as, as, as experts on a lot of things that we, are, we know actually very little about. Um, or maybe we've just read, watched a few videos or, or kind of went down a, a Twitter stream of information and we come out experts on things. And, and then even, even just in our, our life around us, we sometimes think I'm an expert about what's going around me, but when we're honest, we forget a good bit of things. I was thinking of that um, recent, there's a recent progressive commercial. I don't know why there's so many insurance commercials, but they are, and they do a good job. But there's the one where um, you've probably maybe seen it, maybe not, where they um, have, there's a couple or two people that are arguing over what someone did or didn't do or did or didn't say. And I, I, I've never had that conversation before. I don't know. I don't know where they came up with that idea. <laughs> no, we've all walked through that, right? And then in that commercial, um, one of them gets to do the, 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 it's the NFL, the coach's challenge, where they get to go to replay. And I love that. It's just funny. They go to replay, and they see what actually happened. And, and then um, someone humbly kind of is like, oh, okay. <laughs> in that, and um, we experienced that in our own life, even this week, um, in our home, there was a little bit of a um, discussion about where our home cell phone was and, and who had used it last and where, where could it be. And, 
And I um, wrongly said, well, I bet if we could get one of those replays, it was probably one of you two. <laughs> and then the U2 went to school, and um, I found the home phone in a drawer um, by my bed where I had put it. <laughs> and so they came home from school, and I had to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Sometimes we see ourselves as experts when even on just basic things where we just, we fall short. But Jesus, this is where I'm getting to the point. Jesus, he has no limits. He is from above. He has always been and will always be. He is creator and before all of creation. And we need to look to him. Um, he is our rock. He is the way, as he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We're called to look to him. As I mentioned a couple weeks back, that quote from Robert Murray McChain where he says, for every one look at ourselves, we need to take 10 looks at Jesus. And that's so true. He's above all. And then we see this continued words about Jesus. And we see that his testimony, the testimony of Jesus, the words of Jesus are from heaven, directly from God the Father. Um, his words, his testimony they're above all as well. There's no one like Jesus. Let me read some of those verses. Verse 32, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one, no one receives his testimony. So the words of Jesus, they're grounded in his, his firsthand experience of what he has heard, what he has seen. He is the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity. And he doesn't speak secondhand like the prophets or like John the Baptist spoke. He speaks from firsthand experience. He has authority to speak like no one else has spoken. As Nicodemus, when we studied Nicodemus earlier in this chapter, he comes to Jesus and he began to see there's something unique about Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who's come from God and no one does these signs that you do unless God is with him. I think also of the account of Jesus when he reveals his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, when he reveals his glory and Peter, James, and John are with Jesus. And we have this account. This is one of those accounts in Mark 9. Verse 7, it says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of that cloud and said, This is my beloved Son. And then what does it say? Do you remember? This is my beloved Son. Listen. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. There's no one who speaks like Jesus. And yet, we see here, too, that the second part of verse 32, that no one received His testimony. So many rejected and have rejected, and even as history continues forward, will reject his words, even though there's no one like him that speaks like him. Again, um, from earlier in the Gospel of John, this is from John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Again, similar, similar words. Um, if you remember, if, we, if you were to go every week, you could go back and read those first um, 
first half of chapter one, this prologue where we see these themes again and again and again that they're unpacked throughout the gospel and we see this unpacked here. But we're called to be those people who, who listen to him. That's my challenge. Maybe you have kind of been pushing aside the words of Jesus and here they're called to listen, to listen to Jesus. And then verse 33 continues, whoever receives his testimony set his seal to this, that God is true. God is true. This is another um, translation. This is a Christian standard Bible. It says, the one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. They've heard, they believed the words of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and they affirm that God is truth. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the preacher of old, this is what he said about this verse. I found it helpful. When you believe in Jesus... You have set your seal to the testimony of Jesus, which is, reveal, the, which is the revelation of the Lord. You have certified that you believe in God as true. So at that time and throughout history, those who have believed in the life, in the ministry, in the words of Jesus, they confirm and affirm and seal not only that, that the words in the life of Jesus are true, but that God the Father indeed is true as well. Of course, we don't, God doesn't need us to affirm and acknowledge those things, but we're those who are able to bear witness to those things. And sometimes we're able to bear witness to them because the Lord has changed us inside out in such a radical way that we're like, like the apostle Peter, the disciple Peter, who says to Jesus when others are leaving, kind of our theme verse through this, through our, our study in John, to whom else would I go? Um, who else would I go? Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. And I think that's why we then read stories of saints throughout the history and currently who rest in Jesus, even though life is utterly difficult because they're following Jesus. This week I read an article in the Voice of the Martyrs, their most recent um, little magazine they sent out about a group of pastors from, from in the area of Mozambique in Africa. And apparently Mozambique is it's a majority Christian country, uh, but at the same time in the northern provinces, it's predominantly Muslim and uh, in the last few years, the last several years, there's been an increased um, persecution there and just even just strife of the people uh, because of a group um, that pledge allegiance to the Islamic State, to ISIS, that, that are in there and just wreaking havoc in that area. Uh, this is some of the things from that, um, from that article. It says that the extremists, although they, they do cause havoc on all of the people. Um, they've singled out Christians. One pastor said, they gathered everyone in the middle of his village and asked them about their religious beliefs. This, the Islamists decapitated those who said they were Christians and then burned every home and church in the village. And then he continues, another pastor talks about them rounding up people and those who try to flee and they would track them down. And he said, we felt like chickens um, going into a lion's den. The pastor said, I saw mountains of dead bodies everywhere, he says. And then another pastor talks about how when, when, um, when they were raided, um, 
that his family was split up and his four and seven-year-old um, were split up and he hasn't seen them since. He doesn't know if they're alive. And then he says his church also building had been destroyed as well. And then it goes on and just says, as each pastor told stories of suffering from his church and village, the other pastors at the table bowed their heads and began to pray. Then one of the pastors began to sing as the others joined in. Their time of shared sorrow was transformed into a time of worship, reflecting the pastor's hope in Christ. And then it says, amid their suffering, <coughs> the pastors have seen God at work. Because of all that has happened, one of the pastors said, the people fled here to one place where they can hear the word of God. When we go back, they, we will see many, many, many new churches being planted. So many Muslims are saying, we want to follow Jesus because only Christians have brought love. And then it began, again continues, another pastor said, the sharing of the gospel just doesn't have any difficulty now. When people do evil, it actually helps us to remember we are different. God has called us to be different, and it is an opportunity to set ourselves apart. So in the lives of these pastors, we see, indeed, their testimony. They, they confirm the truth and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and that is from God the Father. And then continue verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he gives spirit without the spirit without measure. Here it's speaking about God the Father giving Jesus the spirit without measure. Now in the Old Testament, the prophets were given this, the Holy Spirit to speak the words of God. And, and here, though, um, we see that Jesus was given the Holy Spirit in a unique way, just without measure, just poured out upon him in great measure. Um, I think of earlier in the Gospel of John, where John the Baptist baptizes John, or baptizes Jesus, and he sees the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove and remaining on him. We can also think of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, where he takes out the, the scroll of Isaiah and reads these words about himself. And he says, the Spirit, this is in Luke chapter 4, <coughs> verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus proclaimed that the, the, he's fulfilling scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him that he might be one who goes out healing and preaching and setting free those who are oppressed. No one, no one is like Jesus. No one is like Jesus. And then verse 35. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. We see all authority and resources are lovingly, lovingly are given to Jesus from God the Father. Father lovingly gives Jesus all authority everything placed in his hands. I think of Colossians 1, 15 through 17, where the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus and says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, 
and in him all things hold together. It just speaks about that great authority of Jesus Christ who's above all, holding everything together. Sometimes we're trying to hold it together. We're reminded that it is Christ we're called to look to. And then finally, verse 36, we see, well, how do we respond to Jesus? Jesus, who is like no other, and kind of sums up, the Apostle John sums these things up. We see in our life, there there is no more important question than how will we respond to Jesus? And we see that here in these verses, or in this verse. Verse 36 says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So here, uh, John, he doesn't pull any punches, does he? (laughs) He doesn't give us a third option in there, does he? Not a lot of wiggle room. So, so much is at stake with what we do with Jesus. Is those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. They have eternal life, but those who reject Jesus will not, not have life. Instead, they will find judgment from God the Father, just judgment for our sins. Eternal life apart from God. One commentator also says this about this passage. It says, the wrath of God is a concept which is uncongenial to many modern students. That might be to say the least, right? Uh, maybe even more so. And various... Um, and various devices are adopted to soften the expression or to explain it away. This cannot be done, however, without doing great violence to many passages of Scripture and without distracting from God's moral character. I think one thing is we think about God's holiness um, and also His just anger, His wrath for sin, the holiness and wrath of God, um, our components are true things about our God that should drive us to the, our need for grace, our need for mercy. And, and the amazing thing is, is that our God pours out mercy and grace. Remember we read about Jesus, that he is full of grace and truth. We're reminded that in the midst of that, that grace and mercy are offered to us. And we see too, and the cross of Jesus Christ, when he died for us, we see the mingling of the love of God and his holy wrath as well, that Jesus, only begotten son, um, dies for us, for sinners in our place, that we might be then forgiven and clothed with his righteousness. So we see the love of our God and also his wrath for sin. I think sometimes, too, we, we struggle with how to see um, love and wrath commingling um, in the person of God. But I think if we stop, we understand that even personally. If we love someone deeply, we know that we can also have great anger if that one that we love is harmed unjustly, um, is abused, or treated with injustice. It will stir up a righteous anger in us. So we understand deep love and also that of wrath. So we shouldn't be surprised. I think of John 3.16, just a few verses earlier that we studied, and it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we're reminded here, what do we do with Jesus, the Savior who he's come to rescue us um, from our sins, that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. And so there's a call this morning to turn and to trust in Jesus. And I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Um, Maybe you have pushed against him and his authority in your life. And here there's a strong statement saying, hey, this is something you need to consider, at least consider, even if if you're wrestling through it right now, there's a weight to it. Um, If the words of the Apostle John are true, which I believe they are, that in Christ is eternal life and apart from him, there is just judgment from our God. So this morning there's an opportunity to hear the words of Jesus to turn and trust, to repent and believe and find life and forgiveness in him this morning. This morning, if you just want to learn more about following Jesus, um, you can grab one of those cards that you got as you came in. Say, I just want to, Mark, just I want to learn more about following Jesus or just track one of us down and we'd love to share more about what it means to follow Jesus. And then for the rest of us, we're reminded, uh, again, that we're not the Christ. We're not the expert. uh, That we need Jesus. And we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is above all things who speaks like no one else speaks, who loves like no one else has loved and died for us that we can have eternal life and that we could be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to close just with one um, last illustration. This illustration comes from James Montgomery Boyce, who um, was a pastor um, who um, preached and, and wrote, and he gives this illustration. He talks about one summer when he was a boy uh, that he took a trip with his family to California, and they went on apparently like a, a trip, a group trip with other people. He said it was a tour that was connected to Eternity Magazine. I don't know Eternity Magazine, but maybe, maybe some of you um, remember that. But they went on this tour to California, and one of the people along with them was Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was a theologian and an author um, during that time, and some of you may be a familiar with him. And so one day that they went to this amusement park in Monterey, and in this amusement park there was this large barrel that was seven to eight feet in diameter and about 30 or 40 feet long, and it laid on its side and it revolved around. Yeah, you know what we're talking about here. One of those barrels that revolve around and the challenge is to walk through without being turned upside down. And James Montgomery Boyce, he talks about how Donald Barnhouse, he for some reason, he really wanted to, to go through that and make sure he could get through it. But unfortunately, it says that he began, and just two or three yards within the barrel, he finds himself with his feet higher than the, his center of gravity and just tumbling and tumbling in this barrel. And he gets out. The man stops the barrel, and he gets out. And Barnhouse says, I'm going to do it again. He says, start it up. I'm going to do it again. But the man controlling the barrel said, no, no, wait wait a minute. He said, wait a minute. First, you should know something. Um, There's a secret, he says, for walking through the barrel. And he says, do you see that that mirror on the other end? He said, yeah. Um, Do you see, what do you see in the mirror? Well, I see you. He said, that's right. He said, you see me. Now, this time, when you walk through the barrel, forget about the fact that that it's turning. Don't even look at the barrel. Instead, look at me in the mirror. That way, you will have a true sense of the vertical, and you'll be able to adjust the speed of your steps and keep from falling. 
And so th- this time when the barrel started, that Barnhouse was able to walk through just triumphantly. The secret of walking through the barrel, James says, James Montgomery Boyce says, the barrel was to keep his eyes on the man who runs it. Then he ties that spiritual reality that in this life, um, when sometimes we, we do, we feel like we're walking through unprecedented, unprecedented times for us or maybe in our personal life or in this world, and things that seem like that barrel flipping around again and again, and there's a call to look to the one who's in charge. And about um, James Montgomery Boyce talks about looking to, to our God and also looking to his word that reflects the words of God. And, and we see in this passage, we look to Jesus Christ, who is above all, who has authority of all. And as our, our world is, is spinning, we look to the one who is creator above all things. And we can find hope and life in the face of Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the kindness of your word that speaks to us today. We thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, who came and took on flesh, who came and poured out his grace and love upon us, who died in our place, taking upon the wrath of God that we can have eternal life, that we can be forgiven, and that his 